Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right, you heard it. This is the Dream Preview Podcast. I am Brad Powers, filling in for R.J. Bell this week. He's taking a much-needed week off. Not a week off, a day off. Just so happens to be podcast taping day. Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super Contest, is alongside of me here. And guys, it's quite simple as far as this podcast goes. There's going to be no Area 51 stories this podcast. I don't think so. Uh, There's going to be no Fifth Amendment stories, right, Fez? No Second Amendment, no Bill of Rights, no stories like that. If you want football talk, this is the podcast for you because... Here are the topics. I'm looking at the rundown sheet here. What we got to talk about football, 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 Belichick, season win totals, college football, and maybe a little bit more. So this is the one podcast you guys have been wanting. I heard a lot of you asking, clamoring for me on Twitter. Hey, when are you going to start really talking some college football stuff? Now, we did do a podcast a couple weeks ago when Fez was on one of his many vacations. But this is one where we're basically going to look more from the market perspective, Fez. We're going to look at the biggest movers in the market, whether we agree or disagree with the moves. And we're going to give you at the end of the podcast, best bet from me, Brad Powers, best bet from Steve Fezzik. And we also have a best bet from Dave Esler, a loaded podcast. So without further ado, let's hit it. All right, Fez, we're going to start with the NFL here. And guys, let me first say here, a little going to be a little bit more dry when it comes to the sound drops. RJ didn't leave his sound drop machine here, so not going to be heavy on the sound drops, which obviously add to the podcast here. So it's going to be a little dry, going to be big on info. I'll try to make it entertaining. I'm sure Fez will say something a time or two where I can go at him a little bit. Fez, starting with the NFL, let's start with some of the biggest movers, and I'm going to give you free reign here. What have been some of the biggest movers as far as a season win total perspective goes in the NFL so far? So let's talk about some stock up teams, teams that the betters have been betting on. And let's start with the Patriots. Patriots season win number opened up 10.5 to 11. It's complicated because back in March, a few places went ahead and put up 10.5. I'm sorry, they put up 11 and it dropped down to 10.5. So you could call 10.5 or 11 the opener. It was 10.5 for about a month. And then all the money has been on the over. Currently, the Patriots are at about 11.15, if you will. That means over 11. There's extra VIG around minus 135 at most books on New England going over. What's driving that? Now, it's always interesting when I try to predict what caused the line move because I can't be 100% certain. But in most cases, I'm pretty sure, especially as much work as I do with the NFL season wins and the like. And I think there's two key drivers. One is... Uh, the draft. New England, 10 picks in the first five rounds. The draft gets so much coverage now that um, when everyone saw them taking all those picks, there was an immediate move. I would argue they're the one team that the draft actually moved the number up from 10.5 to 11. And then I think that the um, the second reason is the schedule. New England has, by my um, accounts, the easiest schedule in the NFL. Makes a lot of sense when you get to play 
in their division in the AFC East, and you don't have to play yourself, get to play Miami twice, etc., that you're going to have a very easy schedule. It's easier than last year, easiest in the NFL, and that explains the movement up and above, currently over 11 with extra vig. So agree or disagree with the move, Fez? You know, I'm going to disagree with the line move. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. Really? I am. And I am very confident. I know I've been saying this for years. Let's talk Tom Brady here. So Tom Brady last year by QBR, that's the advanced stats that ESPN puts together on who's the best quarterback. Brady was number six, had a fine year. The year before, Brady was three. The year before, Brady and QBR was two. If you take a look at some of the next generation stats, Brady throwing the ball down the field. He was two years ago, right around average in terms of how far he threw down the field. Last year, he was 23rd in the league. His average completion, the point that the receiver catches the ball before he runs, 5.6 yards uh, in air yardage. Only 5.6? Yeah, it turns out like the best in the league is like Fitzpatrick is like 8.8 because you throw throw some screen passes that are actually negative, you know, below the line of scrimmage. So that's at the point that the receiver catches it, no one turns out ever gets to 10 and of all people you know the mad bomber Fitzpatrick is um uh was the highest of all the quarterbacks that I saw but Brady just at 5.6 so about five and a half yards downfield and I got to look at the history of the NFL they all these quarterbacks when they turn age 40 usually they're already regressing but if they do make it to 40 or they're coming close to it, the Brett Favres, um, the Mannings of the world, they crash and burn. They can have an elite year at 39, but when they turn 40, it doesn't happen. Now, you could make the case, well, clearly this aging doesn't apply to Brady. He's eating all this kale, living right, and he's had two great years after he should have fallen off the cliff. But now at age 42, I really think that um, he is going to be hard-pressed to keep putting up those big numbers, and it's going to become more of a ground-and-pound New England team, probably good enough to win 11 games. More than 11, I don't see it. Speaking of more than 11 games winning, prior to last season where they won 11 games, so you'd be pushing this season win total, New England went eight, eight consecutive years of winning 12 or more games in a regular season, Fez. <laughs> Pretty much. The last nine years, you'd have either pushed one time on this season win total or won your bet eight times. So I just... I. I think it has to be at least 11, don't you? I mean, the Dolphins now have went from being, you know, quote-unquote, at least from a wins-losses aspect, if you add up their last three, four years, maybe slightly below average. Is that fair? They went from slightly below average in the last three, four years, maybe even average because they went to the playoffs a couple years ago, to now the one, arguably one of the worst teams in the league. So that's a positive. Then you get two wins against the Dolphins, although are they wins because the Patriots' past history struggling with Miami. Buffalo's probably a little bit better with Josh Allen. Jets are a little bit better, but all three of those teams just are. I just I don't see it from a schedule aspect. I, I don't want any part of betting New England under 11, Fez, so you're going to get some disagreement from me. Well, there's no question that the schedule absolutely benefits New England. So the question becomes, are they an elite Super Bowl caliber team, or are they just a you know very good playoff type team? And frankly... Big difference between a 10.5 and, and an 11, and that um, getting the plus money on the under, I will disagree with this line move. So that's a lean? Lean? No, I'm going to like under at the current. Oh, all right. I'm going I'm I'm, to be anxious like to it. see that uh, under 11 ticket, but you're probably going to wait, right, for public money coming in? 
Yes, and hope for an 11 and a half. And a, a little secret, we talk about how much is a half game worth. And pretty much everyone discusses, oh, it's 50 cents. And I agree with that. And by 50 cents, to use an example, if you're going to bet like the Houston Texans under, they're right in the middle. You can play under eight and a half, lay minus 150, or under eight, minus 100. So which ticket do I like better? I'm indifferent between the two. There's about a 20% chance Houston wins exactly eight games. So it turns out it really doesn't matter which one of those two bets I make. However, the one time where I would argue it's worth more than 50 cents is on the very high numbers, on the extremes, on the fives, on the 11s, because is, um, is New England going to win 14 games? Very unlikely. Are they going to win nine games? Very unlikely. So the probability distribution function is much more bunched right around 11. And essentially to buy an extra half game, I would say is probably worth more than 50 cents. So if we can get that under 11 and a half, I'd probably be willing to lay minus 150 as opposed to playing an under 11 plus ten, essentially paying 60 cents for a half game. Yeah, I see in college football because I mean, I've seen some 11 and a halfs come out on the Clemson, the Alabamas of the world, and obviously the only way to lose that bet is if a team goes a perfect 12-0. and Agree with you there. Just quick, uh, because I, I what I have up are the updated odds line by line from CGT who put out their lines for every game a couple months ago. New England only an underdog in one game at Philadelphia, a one-point dog on November the 17th. It's not perfect, but there's only three games on the entire schedule where they're laying three or less. That at Philadelphia in their only underdog role, one and a half point favorite at Baltimore, and a one and a half point favorite at Houston. Every other game, New England's laying more than three points. So you're right. Easy schedule for the Patriots. Team two, as far as stock up. Yeah, Philadelphia. Uh, money has been on Philly to go over, open nine and a half. Currently sitting at, I, I call it 9.9. So it's still nine and a half at most books, but the VIG is high, like around minus 155. There are some tens popping up. I'm going to go ahead and agree with this move. I think that the Eagles, very, very injury prone last year. That's what's really driving this, I believe. They were 31st in terms of adjusted games lost in the NFL. Obviously, their secondary got completely decimated. And uh, you look at Carson Wentz. Well, what a fall Mr. (laughs) Wentz has had in public perception. So just last year, going into the NFL season, NFL ranked him as the third most important player in the NFL. This year's rankings, 93rd. I think that that is an overreaction to um, him going ahead and being injured here at the... um, Week 7, which compromised, in my opinion, his ability to be an MVP-type quarterback. And then, obviously, by Week 15, he was shelved and no longer playing last year. Here's my concern with Wentz. I mean, when he's on, and we saw him on for the first, what, 10, 12 games a couple years ago, he was arguably the league MVP. But now going back to his senior year at North Dakota State, this is a guy, Carson Wentz, four years, four different injuries to four different body parts. Senior year at North Dakota State, broken wrist. Uh, rookie season, fractured ribs, and misses all the preseason for filling his rookie year. Second year, he tears the ACL. And then last year, at the end of the year, a fractured uh, you know bone in his back. I mean, can the guy stay healthy? You're not, you can't. There's no Nick Foles to bail you out this time, Fez, in the playoffs. Is that a concern for you? Oh, Nate Stunham? Stunham? 
Nope. Nate Sudfield? Sudfield. Excuse yep. me. Nate Sudfield's um, underappreciated. No. If um, <laughs> if Wentz goes down, we're, in, we're, we're obviously in trouble. But I'll make the case you talk about four injuries. So let's talk about how Wentz did after the first two of those four injuries in 2017 was going to be the MVP before the third injury. QBR, 78.5, number one in the league, number one by a large margin, even with a injury-filled year last year where he misses the first two games with the ACL uh, rehab obviously gets forced back things aren't going well with Foles to start the year so he came back too soon then hurts the back week seven he still despite that was number 12 in QBR what's the right answer 12's too low one's too high somewhere in the middle make him a uh, borderline top 10 quarterback certainly in the top 10, whether he's 6th, whether he's ninth, whether he's 10th, he belongs there. Yeah, and here's where I, I agree with you as far as the odds move here. Got to love the division. Washington's a mess. Might start a rookie quarterback. Giants are a mess. Might go to a rookie quarterback at the end of the season. And let's face it, the Cowboys right now are dealing with some off-the-field issues with Ezekiel Elliott. A Cowboys team last year that was 8-2, and two, Fez, and games decided by 7 points or less. So kind of a phony team. I think Philadelphia deserves to be the favorite in that division, and I agree with the move here. Very good. And let's talk about strength of schedule. So you talked about how New England's going to win 11 or more games because they got such a cupcake schedule. Well, it turns out if you looked at their their schedule versus an average team, New England has a 6% easier schedule when you plug in all the numbers, and that is the easiest schedule in the NFL. Well, Philly, largely because of their cupcake division, is a, a .96 factor. So not quite as easy as New England, but still. What's .96 factor? That means 4% easier schedule than average. For New England has a 6% okay. easier. So New England is um, 50% easier than Philly, but Philly still a very easy, favorable schedule. And look at last year's number. Last year, New England played a easier-than-average schedule, but not Philly. Philly played a 5% more difficult schedules and Philly has gone coming off being a Super Bowl champ. Yeah. So Philly has gone from a schedule that was very difficult to last year to a schedule that is easy. And I love deltas. I love when a team goes from a really hard schedule to a difficult one or a difficult one to an easy one. I agree with the move like Philly to go over. You got one more team stock up two more. Two more. All right, Fez. Loving it. Who's your next team? I don't have as much on this one. I got to tell you, this is the one I'm trying not to say neutral because right. I think it's so wussy and, and the like. But Buffalo got bet up from six to uh, over seven, a little vig to the over. And although I agree with the over six at the current number, I got to tell you, I'm pretty darn neutral just from the advanced stats. Buffalo. They got some good numbers. You know, if you look at just the yards per play and the like, yeah, they got slightly outgained on yards per play. But if you assume that Allen's going to continue to improve, and this was a real surprise. The feeling was he was inaccurate at Wyoming. Yep. He was going to be even more inaccurate in the NFL. He's gonna, Okay, the weather's not good in Wyoming, but it's, it's not good in Buffalo either. And his ability to play fairly effectively was a surprise. Now, what's going to happen in the sophomore year? I'm really not sure, Brad, so I'm going to stay on the sidelines. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And I think by anybody's expectations, I thought Josh Allen exceeded expectations. I mean, even I was kind of harsh. I thought he'd be a bust because I, I questioned the inaccuracies at Wyoming. Uh, if you're only a 58% passer in the Mountain West, when are you going to be in the NFL? I'll say one thing that was obviously underrated, I think, in the process. I knew he had some decent mobility for a big guy, but, I mean, he really utilized that mobility last year. I mean, he was running for 100 yards in a bunch of games. 
I'm not sure that can be successful long term, but that's something that I don't think I think we fully grasp. I mean, Lamar Jackson got all the love for being a running quarterback, but it was actually Allen who was helping Buffalo as well running the football. Yeah, almost impossible to defend the running quarterback unless you're game planning specifically for it like the Chargers did for Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. And frankly, that's why we saw Lamar Jackson so successful last year. Kind of a preseason tip, probably not too early to talk a little preseason, is that it's really difficult to determine, hey, who's got the best third-string and fourth-string quarterbacks? And a real good tiebreaker is just, do you have scrambling quarterbacks for your third- and fourth-stringers? If so, you probably have the advantage in these preseason games. All these quarterbacks (laughs) want to go ahead and have successful drives, and you tuck it and run, and they're emphasizing to all the defenders, you know, stay in your lanes, do your job. Well, guess what? When you do your job, the quarterback can break containment and run for a first down. Fast stream of consciousness there. That's a little NFL preseason notes. Although I should say it's timely because we are taping this on Wednesday night, eight days exactly from the Hall of Fame game, which kicks off next week. I'm actually excited for it, Fez. Got to actually talk some game action. And let's face it, for you, and we got a lot of new listeners as sports betting gets bigger and bigger. And you're going to hear us preach. We're going to do a couple podcasts on it. And Fez will probably, maybe next week, uh, be a good one. If not, it'll be the following week. Some key tips as far as betting NFL preseason. No, it's not for degenerates only. I would argue it's for winners. If you really do your homework, uh, handicapping the quarterback rotations, the motivations of the coaches, you get some extreme, I would say, travel situations where a team is just going to pack it in. NFL preseason, I would say Fez... It's something that the I would say the professionals prefer. It's just you, you can't get down that much. Yeah, absolutely. Hall of Fame game. I'll go ahead and, and I have not done my work on this game, but I'm still going to go ahead and talk about it real quick here. Um, Denver, Atlanta. Atlanta has not been good historically in the preseason. Denver has a brand new head coach. Normally those coaches take preseason a little bit more seriously. Atlanta's minus two and a half in this game. And if you asked me to set a line in this game, my first line would have been pick them. I have no idea who should be favored. So given that and an extra two and a half points, and what do we know about preseason, Brad? Two and a half is a lot to get in the game. Oh, yeah. and the reason, Especially two means more than, than, than ever before because they're not willing to go for it. Exactly right. So it's, it's the rare case where if you bet me, are more games going to land two or three? I'm really not sure. Now, of course, you're going to have the games tied 17 all yeah. going into the fourth quarter. But if a team is up by seven going into the fourth quarter, then you're just not going to find a way to get on three because teams are going to go for two, whether they're down seven or down 10. They've learned, they've gotten the memo the coaches have on this one. For whatever reason, we don't want to evaluate talent in overtime. We've got it all scripted, how many plays we want everyone to play, and we don't want extra overtime plays. That is Steve Fezzik, only two-time winner of the Super Contest. Getting in a little NFL preseason nuggets in there. You do have one more stock-up team, NFL. Who is it? Cleveland Browns. Oh, so no. They opened the, the marketplace. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my, yes. It opened eight and a half. That didn't last. That was at our local book at William Hill that apparently somehow— Local book is national now at Yeah, this point. A- absolutely. So apparently they missed um, the fact— it's Worldwide. That, the, that Blue Horseshoe loves <laughs> the Cleveland Browns, Mayfield, OBJ, all the hype— yeah, Cleveland has won only eight games the last three years, but their season win number has been bet up to over nine, extra vigorous on the over, and I 
disagree strongly with this move. I actually think the eight and a half, I could argue, was a bad bookmaking line in terms of, well, why not just set it higher? People are going to bet over anyways. But um, at nine, where nine's a push, you have to look to go under, in my opinion. It's crazy to me that Cleveland is still the favorite to win that division over Pittsburgh. And uh, Pittsburgh, in my opinion, should be the favorite. And it would fading Cleveland any way you can for them to go under the nine, for them to miss the playoffs. I think their pick them to miss the playoffs, I think would be the way to go. And looking at it here, Fez, uh, looking at the schedule, I mean, regardless of what you think about the incoming talent, and let's face it, this is a team with a lot of personality, with a rookie head coach who's never been a head coach before, a guy in his second year as far as being a quarterback, incoming one, one of the more, I would say, divisive personalities in the NFL and Odell Beckham. A lot of talent at the skill position. Offensive line, I think pro football uh, focus ranked, I think, like right around 20th. So that's a question mark. I have issues with the schedule here. Tell me the slam dunk victories for the Browns, especially in the first eight games of the season. Tennessee, I get it. Five and a half point favor, although I kind of like Tennessee there and I'm going to wait for a better number. At the Jets on a Monday night. I that's not a for sure win, even though Cleveland probably be a slight favorite there. Rams at home, Cleveland's an underdog. At Baltimore, right now Cleveland's an underdog. At San Francisco on a Monday night, Cleveland's an underdog. Seattle at home, slight favorite for Cleveland. At New England, big dog, touchdown underdog. At Denver, where I think Cleveland's won one time since 1990, although it was at the end of last season. I mean, maybe three wins. I mean, if we're just going off with their favorite, three and five, four and four to start the season, and if I got a rookie head coach who's dealing with all these personalities, I think it's necessary that Cleveland gets off to a good start. I'm not sure the schedule allows for it, Fez. You know, that's a great point because their overall schedule is not difficult at all. But the fact Yeah, that the last eight games, it certainly eases up. So it's so front-loaded that when you think about that, okay, well, what type of team can handle a front-load schedule normally – when you get a brand new head coach, which Kitchens isn't, you know, he was the interim coach, the um, the brand new head coach can handle starting out two and six because there's such limited expectations and everyone stays excited and the like. You look at last year with uh, with Frank Reich and the Colts go one and five and they rally, no problem. But um, here's a situation where they're talking playoffs. Heck, people are making them the fifth pick to win the Super Bowl Ugh. on Cleveland. And with all those personalities and dynamics, if it goes south and Cleveland loses some games, they shouldn't lose. Do, um, does the internal turmoil suddenly start to build and people start to question whether Kitchens is qualified to lead this group of uh, prima donnas going forward? Valid point. I'm with you, Fez. I'm more in the under camp here, although... I'm waiting, and I think this is a good point, good time to mention this. I'm going to mention this a couple times throughout the podcast here because I get this question so much. Is there still value betting on some of these teams, some of the bigger movers? And I'm, I'll talk about more because there's been some bigger movers in college than the NFL. I think this is the one instance where it's kind of wait and see. Since Cleveland is such a public team, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of waiting for maybe a rogue nine and a half. Not sure we're ever going to see it. And if we do, it's not going to last very long. But I certainly expect that over nine to get a little bit more pricier. Therefore, I can get a better number on the under. I'm in wait and see here to get, in my opinion, a really good bet. 
you know, as we get closer to the, the preseason and the actual regular season at the end of the preseason, Fez. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about another bet that we can make for in terms of season wins. Will Cleveland make the playoffs? Yes, right. no. So it's pick them. So I'm, I'm pulling back the curtain quite a bit on bets that I make in this podcast. When a team is lined close to nine wins, that is like the sweet spot to bet yes or no to make the playoffs. And here's why. It's kind of like a second way to bet an over-under nine. So you can shop all these different books and you talk about it. All it takes is for one person, low limits on these bets, like $500 to come in from Cleveland and bet, oh, Cleveland's going to make the playoffs and move the line. And then you can get a rogue line to go, no, Cleveland won't make the playoffs. And these yes, no in the playoffs aren't being paid nearly as much attention to as these other bets. Why is it so valuable at nine? Because the dastardly bookie, when you get a team that's a big favorite to make the playoffs, he'll go ahead and say, well, will New England make the playoffs? You know, I got to look this up. It's, it's going to be so extreme, but I'm sure that the, uh, the typical book is going to go ahead and take extreme vigorous. Here it is. So Patriots are yes, minus 900, no plus 600. So, I could make the case I'd like to book either one of those, yep. right? I mean, they're so far apart, a minus 900 and plus 600. But whenever a team is, is um, and same thing, if a team's only supposed to win six games, obviously a really big straddle as well that they won't make the playoffs. But at nine wins, it's pretty much pick them whether or not they're going to go. So if a team's line eight and a half to nine and a half wins, I always keep a, um, a secondary eye towards will they make the playoffs and I want to fade a team or back a team, I keep an eye on that prop bet as well. And, and obviously you can get, I mean, if you're liking under nine wins, more likely than not, not perfect, but if you like under nine wins, chances are, especially in the NFL, you're not going to make the playoffs going under nine wins. And and one of the reasons is sometimes you're laying, what, 110? Just say over-unders, the normal 110 where you can get maybe, what, even uh, on a no? Is that one of the reasons why? Yeah, and, and also— An extra free 10 cents? And also, if you ask me, Cleveland wins nine games, okay? okay. So you play— you, do, And I've got in my pocket Cleveland under nine plus— Say i got a plus yeah. dollar twenty somewhere. Okay. Would I rather have my push or would I rather, given they win nine, them not to make the playoffs? You know what? I'll take my chances with them if they win nine games for them to miss the playoffs. I like it. That's Steve Fezzik. And I'll tell you what, if I had the soundboard in front of me, you would get some Roy on that one. Roy Overson, only in dreams. Again, Steve Fezzik, I'm Brad Powers filling in for RJ Bell. This is the Dream Preview. We are basically taking a look at the market in this podcast. Biggest movers, stock up, stock uh, stock down for teams, and whether or not we agree or disagree, and whether or not we still think there's some value on some of the biggest movers in the marketplace. That wraps up stock up. Fez, let's move ahead to the teams that the stock has been going down in the marketplace. Who's team number one? Blue Horseshoe hates the Chicago Bears. Bears opened up nine and a half. They are down at nine. I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about what's causing all these moves with the Bears, but one of the, the primary reasons is the schedule. The Bears had the easiest schedule last year of any team, and I talk about like New England being like 6% easier than an average schedule. Well, the Bears were 12% easier than an average schedule last year. That is really, really a cupcake uh, city in terms of the teams that they had to play. So I agree strongly with the move. One thing that's nice that we're talking Bears right after Cleveland, well, their season win number's at nine. So guess what? That same dynamic that applied to Cleveland where we we're going to bet them to miss the playoffs, we can bet the Bears to miss the playoffs. That's right around Pickham as well. And I think if the Bears do win nine games, then you're going to push on your under nine bet. I kind of like it better Bears to miss 
the playoffs as a uh, a solid bet as well. Yeah, in the same division, this team could win nine games like Minnesota, and obviously the NFC's per- pretty stacked this year. Uh, so a- any other things when it comes to the Bears? You said you had a bunch of things while you're fading and why the market's moving. Well, I'm going to have a best bet on the Bears, so let's, let's go All ahead right, and save there that. There you go, the little tease from Steve Fezzik. Getting the radio lingo down. Tease Bears later for the podcast. Team number two, stock down. Houston, under eight and a half. And this is all about schedule. They bet it down to eight. And I agree with it. And it, it, it it's the delta for Houston. So they had an easy schedule last year. And they have a very difficult schedule this year. In fact, by my numbers, they have the most difficult schedule of all the NFL teams. And I think the marketplace also recognizes that nine-game win streak Houston had. Rather fortunate to win a lot yep. of those games. I guess the poster child for that was the in, the game against Indianapolis, where in overtime, Indy had the ball on their own 43 with a minute to play, and they went for it and didn't make it, so they handed Houston a win there. And so Houston won 11 games last year. They really probably should have won nine, but now with a much more difficult schedule, I would expect they're only going to win eight, and with some... O-line problems, maybe only seven. I will agree with the under money on Houston. Yeah, by all uh, intents and purposes, the offensive line still bottom five in the league. And if that's the case, can you count on Deshaun Watson, who has a past history of being injury prone? Uh, that's not ideal, obviously, for a guy that likes to move around a little bit in the pocket. Yeah, looking at the schedule, Houston's favored. Uh, depending on the line here, there's a, uh, a pick game uh, as far as the CGT lines, but only favored in like seven or eight games this year. So certainly... Uh, a tough schedule for the Texans. You got another team, team down, stock down. One more. Uh, let's stay in division. Tennessee Titans. Oh, go wow. Under, uh, open eight and a half. It's down to under eight with a little vig to the under. Uh, reason, well, schedule, certainly. I have them, the Titans having the third most difficult schedule. And a lot of this is just that division is yep. so loaded. And I think that Mariota, that the feeling is, is that just he has not progressed as a quarterback. And with all the injuries that are mounting, this isn't Carson Wentz, you know, that was going to win the MVP that's getting hurt. This is a quarterback that is barely getting by as a decent quarterback that seemingly gets injured every year. And so quarterback concerns along with that schedule, I think, is driving that number. I know you had the rankings somewhere among your papers. Mariota, where does he rank in your quarterback rankings? Mariota's in the low 20s. I will look it up. Give me All right, minute. yeah, and let me look, you know, schedule-wise for, for the Titans. You know, I'll maybe talk a little story. This is kind of funny because we do Fez, I, RJ, Jonas Knox. We do a weekly show. It's called Straight Out of Vegas. It's on Fox Sports Radio. Airs every day, Monday through Friday, 6 to 7. So we're on the same network, Fox Sports Radio, as Colin Cowherd. Watching Colin Cowherd, he's been all Tennessee. His number one most improved team, kind of a surprise team, under the radar Tennessee this year. So he has Warren Sharp on there. He does a good job. I think Warren Sharp leads the market as far as the analytics side uh, of the NFL goes. Warren Sharp says, Tennessee? (laughs) I don't like Tennessee. I I don't like Marcus Mariota. Don't like him. Within a minute, Colin goes from being, Tennessee is my number one surprise team, to basically selling all Tennessee stock, Fez. So you're more with the market and and with Warren Sharp on this one. Where's Mariota? Mariota's number 23 in my quarterback rankings. So uh, that puts him one ahead of Darnold and one behind Derek Carr. What's interesting. That sounds right is that the backup quarterback now... Bortles, right? No. Tannehill. Tannehill, oh, Tannehill comes over. that's right. So I only have Damn. Mariota a one-point upgrade, all right? 
And so now you say, oh, that's good. You got a backup quarterback. I think it's good when you have a backup quarterback that's clearly the backup. I don't know if All it's right. good if you've got a backup quarterback, if the starting quarterback struggles and now you've got some internal um, strife and questions about whether you should replace the quarterback. We saw that with um, Portals last year where, my goodness, Kessler can't play a lick, and somehow he wound up starting for Jacksonville in December. Where did uh, you got Bortles? Where did Bortles go? Um, whereabouts unknown. You know, wait, actually, oh. he should be in here because I've got all the backups. All right, here's here he is. You got him backing up Jared Goff. All right, I knew he Rams. Went. Rams. All right, I knew he went somewhere. All right, as you can tell, no, no edits on this podcast. Me, my NFL knowledge isn't like it is. I could tell you the backup quarterback for Tulane. Uh, but I can't tell you the backup quarterback for Tennessee. Who is the backup quarterback? The for backup Philly, quarterback. I'm curious for, about that. Yeah, you really want to know the backup. Well, it's kind of a, been a quarterback battle. They're not set, so it's between. I got to think. I got to rack my brain here a little bit. Tulane going with more of a passing attack, or a yeah, they attack? are because well, they they're changing up. They got an LSU transfer and Justin McMillan, uh, who came in uh, last year, and. And the reason why I'm blanking is they got another transfer from Southern Miss. Keon Howard's actually a good guy. So that is their backup quarterback. Keon Howard, a transfer. So there you go. It took me a while. Is that the, our segue to wrap up these NFL teams? And make- yeah, do you got any more team downs? I do not. And again, this is the dream preview. A little drier when it comes to the comedy. I, a lot of you are like, oh, RJ's funny. Keep in mind, RJ's funny because he's got a soundboard in front of him be nice to queue up some things. I might have done it a little bit there in the last 90 seconds. Uh, I do want to talk one more NFL topic, Fez. And kudos. RJ came up with the idea as far as he wanted to see how Belichick did and has done after the age 60 compared to the other great coaches in NFL history. And kudos for you. You did the legwork, Fez, on this one. And the results are actually stunning on how good Belichick's been compared to the other greats in the NFL history. Absolutely. So Belichick, one for the old guys here. Belichick, since he's turned age 60, has gotten better in terms of his winning percentage in the NFL. Not just better, significantly better. For his career, 68% win rate. How does that 68% compare to um, his brethren, his other top 10 coaches of all time? Well, I compiled them and everyone else's win rate is at 64%. So Belichick, overall work, body of work, better in terms of wins. Now, his detractors will say, well, that's because he gets to play the fish and the, you know, and the bills twice a year. But um, bottom line, super impressive. But what's incredibly impressive, since Belichick turned age 60, and he's 67, New England, under Belichick, has won just under 77% of their games. He's gotten not just better, but way better at winning games. Well, how did all these other coaches do? You know, Who are the, the other coaches? Other coaches I did were Hallis, Paul Brown, Parcells, Tom Landry, Joe Gibbs, and Don Shula. Fair enough. For those who are going to get upset and start throwing things at me, Lombardi, Noll, and Walsh never coached a game after when they turned age 60. So that's why they're not in here. But um, all these guys combined, 64% win rate. What happens when they turn age 60? Uh Uh-oh. They become average coaches. They win 52% of the time. One small caveat, uh, Paul Brown took over the Bungles after he was with the Browns. So he certainly had the biggest fall off. He went from 67% to 49.5%. But none of these coaches 
improved wow. when they went age 16. And Belichick None of them. did. And Belichick went up significantly. So, I mean, when you think about just how many games he loses, sometimes you say 60, 68, 77. Well, think of how many games Belichick loses. He, he lost 32% of the time in his career. And since the last seven years, he loses 23% of the time. He's gotten better. I think you made a great statement on the Straight Out of Vegas show. The, di- the disparity between Belichick and the number two is equal to what? The, in terms of coaching acumen, yes. the current coaches, yes, it is bigger one versus two, and I've got Sean Payton number two, than the difference between two and number 10 in the NFL. I mean, it's just no one else is close to Belichick. And what's scary to me is like they've done studies in other cerebral forms of life. And I can tell you, I doubt you went ahead and caught this in terms of a news story. There is a grandmaster in chess that's in his mid-50s. Did not catch it. He got busted for cheating computer they went ahead and helped him in tournaments because and then people had said he was the one aberration in terms of his rating because his his elo rating had gone up um over the past five years and that never happens when grandmasters and chess go into their 50s so in other words purely cerebrally in your 50s even with all that experience going for you you decline a little bit mentally in your 50s and it really takes off in the 60s unless you're cheating well maybe someone might say Belichick maybe not playing completely by all the rules, but nevertheless, uh, not only is he continuing to win, he wins even more. Yeah, and if I had uh, a drop here, I'd go to the Matrix and say the Morpheus uh, statement, he is the one when he finally figured it out. All right, so there's my movie reference, the Matrix. Hey, I mean, it's not this century. That was 1999. Wow, I'm dating myself 20 years ago. Should have taken the blue pill. (laughs) Fez! Ladies and gentlemen, I don't for longtime listeners, the fact that Fez knew a movie in past 1989, a movie reference from 1999. Love it, Fez. Wow, you'd almost gotten another I don't know if you'd have gotten in dream drop, but you'd have gotten a good drop there. Well, I'm expecting dream drops from you because you've been dropping dimes literally <laughs> on college football. I know all summer long. I, I see you out there, you know, r- ramming and jamming against all these openers. You had done your work months and months ago. I know you got some bets on things that are no longer available, but you've got some really good opinions at the current numbers. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. Fez, five stool player here, turning into a host with a transition. Any first though, any the other things you want to get off your chest when it comes to the NFL? Anything? Maybe at the end of the show, I'm allowed, I'm going to open the floor for any subjects that you might want to talk. Because I mean, let's be honest, guys. I mean, and we do want to be honest. You and I are getting more talk time here than what we, we probably will uh, at least in the next three, four podcasts combined. Am I correct? <laughs> Probably so. Let me just say, <laughs> with preseason upon us, the ability to win betting preseason versus the ability to bet on the NFL once the regular season starts, those two betting acumens and the ability to succeed, it's probably similar to having you know one company that's making fiber optics and another company that's growing tangerines. Completely different. Wow. <laughs> that's Steve Fezzik, only two-time winner of the Super Contest. Great NFL stuff on that as far as the market. As we transition, like Fez was doing so, Let's talk a little college football. Same type of subject here because this is one of those questions you and I get. I mean, I, I just put did a tweet today, the biggest 
uh, moves as far as the market moves, as far as season win total goes. And a lot of people, the question is, is there still value? Well, I'm telling you guys, and some of these teams, I'm going to tell you that there remarkably is still some value left that you could still squeeze out on some of these teams. So let's start off. I got three teams where the stock's been up. The pros have been betting these teams up all summer long, season win totals. And I got three teams, arrow down, stock down. The, the pros are selling stock on those three teams. But I'm going to start positive first, the power of positivity. Virginia. And you're not going to hear me say this too much. Let me get with the handicap here first with Virginia. They opened up with six wins. That's a bad number by a book. A lot of these lines, I'll give credit. It wasn't Jersey. It, I mean, it wasn't Vegas this year. It was actually New Jersey that opened a lot of the season win totals up. Multiple books in New Jersey beat Vegas to the punch. And actually, Jersey right now, Jersey and offshore are the only places where you can bet all 130 teams, Fest. You cannot get a bet on my alma mater in Vegas right now, Bowling Green. Can't bet the season win total here in Vegas. That's a shame. Anyways, that's why, the ha- that's why the handle is larger in New Jersey Might right be one now. of the reasons. Look, obviously population is reason number one. I got 20 million people in that metro, and New York doesn't have their act together when it comes to the mobile sports betting. Neither does Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, all those states where it's legal to bet sports now, but they just don't have their act together. Kudos to Jersey for having it, but 20 million people versus what? 3 million people? I mean, even the L.A. crowd's got to drive three, four hours to get here. All right, Virginia, stock up. Six wins was the opener. It's up to seven and a half. And, guys, I will not say this often, but I still think there's value going over this win total. Six was a really bad number, but I would still go with over seven and a half wins, and here's why. Virginia is just one of the most underrated teams in the country. They have an underrated head coach, Bronco Mendenhall, doing a good job here. Started off. I think you looked at me funny during the Straight Out of Vegas show because I said he's building a power, and I had to correct myself. A good, solid program because I said power program. You're like, what, Virginia? Power program? Come on, Brad. I just liked your I, I read your eyes on that one. But anyways, Mendenhall, two wins, six wins, eight wins. And obviously, arrows pointing up. And this year, 14 returning starters. This is Bronco Mendenhall's best team that he's had at Virginia. Starts at quarterback. Underrated head coach, underrated quarterback. I don't think many people know who Bryce Perkins is. Bryce Perkins was a JUCO quarterback who came over last year for Virginia, dual threat guy, had a great season. 34 total touchdowns, over 3,500 total yards, almost had 1,000 yards rushing. For So Virginia's got an athlete, a quarterback that they haven't had in several years. And then you look on top of the, the defensive side of the ball. Virginia last year, a top 20 defense. When you look, you know, total defense, scoring defense, eight starters back. That's the side of the football that Mendenhall specializes in. So I got an underrated head coach, underrated quarterback, and a top 20 defense statistically. Then I look at the schedule, and I posted my strength of schedule rankings for all 130 teams in the pregame.com forums. Virginia has one of the five easiest schedules among Power 5 teams. And looking at it, Fez, Virginia only has two games all season where they're a clear underdog, at Miami and at Notre Dame. And I like Virginia. I would not be shocked if Virginia didn't win one of those games. Why? Buy prior to Miami, so they have the scheduling edge there, and they catch Notre Dame off the Georgia game. So, I mean, that's a game where Notre Dame might not be 100% physically. 
On top of that, Virginia is going to at least be favored in nine other games. I think they got a pick them game at home against Florida State. I don't see the team going seven and a half or seven and five. I see eight and four. I can talk myself into nine and three. I still like this team to go over seven and a half wins. Give me Virginia over seven and a half wins, Fez. And I thought one of your great points you made this on the Straight Out of Vegas show is how do we know if someone's a good coach or not such a good coach? Well, I think a great indicator is a guy that has had success with other programs, and when he's left, that program is cratered. So Bronco Mendenhall with BYU, the fact that BYU has struggled so much since he exited, probably one fine coach, right? Yeah, and I think the BYU people kind of were like ho-hum about Bronco. They were really excited early in his tenure because I think he had three consecutive, like 11-win seasons. And then it was consistently 8-5, and 9-4. and four. Keep in mind... BYU during his tenure transitioned from the Mountain West to being an independent. And the last five, six years, BYU have front loaded, playing front loaded schedules where they're playing like Texas, Notre Dame, USC, Washington, Michigan State, Mississippi State. Teams like that are all in their first six games of the schedule. So, I mean, he played some much tougher schedules this last couple of years there. Did a fine job, was winning eight, nine, ten games a year. And now BYU struggling to, to 500. So excellent point by you uh, as far as I think Mendenhall has proven himself the last 15 years to be an excellent head coach. And look at this Virginia program. Where the hell were they before he got here? Now he's got them back-to-back bowl bits. Going to be in a bowl game this year unless it's a disaster, which it won't be. Uh, yeah, I like Virginia. Any closing thoughts on that one? Blue Horseshoe loves Virginia. Maybe a very square question here with Virginia Uh winning the national championship in basketball. I know it didn't help Kansas, but is there any (laughs) any thought to the idea of like the rising tide helping all the uh, different um, programs and maybe the football players um, being excited about just um, how well that uh, Virginia Mm. did? That's an excellent question. I don't think we have a clear-cut answer. That's something I'm going to have to do some research on. But basically, I know, I mean, I'll tell you this, and I'll take it back to high school. I've seen, you know, and obviously high school is not college, not professional sports, but how many times have you seen this, Fez? I mean, you're growing up that, you know, you had a really good football season and the student body's really excited, everybody's going, you exceeded expectations. How many times have you seen that carry over in the basketball season? And then somehow the basketball team has a good season, exceeded expectations. At least, I mean, to me, and whether you believe in this type of stuff or not, but I can tell you I think having a good positive attitude about stuff is certainly better than having a negative attitude. Whether it results in anything or not, I certainly think being positive and at least, look, it's not going to make me, you know, man, if I think positive enough, you know, I could go toe-to-toe and I can outbox Mike Tyson. Not going to happen. But I can tell you most things in life coming in here and just being generally happy and feeling good, it's certainly better than somebody coming in here, you know, mad. Do you at least agree with that? Yeah, and I, I love being part of a winning organization. Winning begets winning. So you, you feel like, hey, I'm at a school that's got their act together. They really, they've got the program, they got the facilities. And so if we can do it in basketball, we can do it in football and have that belief. I'm not sure if there's any correlation, but what I guess I'm getting to is I don't, I certainly know it's not a negative factor. I think there is a chance it could be a positive factor. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview.
Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. That is Steve Fezzik. I am Brad Powers doing stock up, stock down when it comes to college football. Another team stock up. I can tell you this, Fezzik. The betters are rowing the boat with P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Minnesota, a team that went to a bowl game last year. Season win total opens up at 6.5, up to 7.5 now for the Gophers. I agree with this one. Now, I will say with this one, I, I still liked Virginia over 7.5 wins. This current 7.5 win is about right for me. But here's what they're seeing with Minnesota. Deservedly so, moving the line up a full win. Minnesota, a young team last year. In fact, even in the bowl game, which they greatly exceeded expectations, Minnesota pulled an outright upset over Georgia Tech, even surprised me. Minnesota started eight freshmen on offense alone in that game. 16 returning starters back. They have a really good wide receiver, Tyler Johnson. Remember that name, Tyler Johnson, one of the better wide receivers in the entire Big Ten. Schedule's doable. No Ohio State, no Michigan, no Michigan State. Only clear underdog role all season, Fez, at Iowa. Now, there's a bunch, half the schedule's a toss-up, where the line's right around a field goal or less for Minnesota. So how they do in those games is really going to determine whether or not they go over this. I would say the current 7.5 line seems about right. No bet at the current number, but I do agree with the line move here from 6.5 to 7.5, Minnesota. Any thoughts? Yeah, I like the way you broke it down. You know what I really liked about Minnesota? Well, that's nice. Thanks for the way I broke it down. So let let me go ahead and (laughs) just add my two cents. And obviously, Brad knows a 100 times more than I do with uh, the college work. But I love the fact that Minnesota was 5-5, and and they were looking at doom Week their their week twelve game against Wisconsin, which they probably were going to lose. Yep, and they had a home game against Northwestern. Win that game, get to your bowl, no problem. Except it was a problem. They failed. They lose to the Wildcats, and now all of a sudden it's going to be no bowling. It's going to yep. be staying home. And then similar to the the movie, the program where they needed that win in the final game to make <laughs> a major bowl. Minnesota needed a win against Wisconsin. They not only got the win, they crushed whiskey in that last game. That's a team with character. Yeah. Cause I, the market was, and I had lost one of my biggest bets of the year in that Minnesota Northwestern game. Cause Northwestern had already clinched a bid to the Big Ten Championship game the week prior. Minnesota needed the game like blood. Market moved like three, four points. Minnesota flipped from dog to favorite in that game, and they lost it. I thought it was just, I mean, I thought the entire program was going to deflate. And to then go and beat your rival, Wisconsin, who they hadn't beaten in 14 years, that type of win against Wisconsin is almost like a, a program changer for the Gophers. All right, moving along here. Stock up, one final team, and then we'll get to the stock down. Some negativity. Boy, a lot, a lot of, I'm getting a little bit motivational or something here today, a little spiritual. Missouri, here's a team that's been moving in the market. Six and a half was the opening season win total number. Been bet up a full win. And I will mention, obviously, college football market's much softer than the NFL. So an NFL market, a half win is a major move. College, you're going to see teams move a win, win and a half, multiple examples of this. Here's what the where the opening bookmaker line got it wrong. I thought it was an overreaction to the loss of Missouri's quarterback, a four-year starter in Drew Locke. Me personally, I thought Drew Locke was overrated, especially against good teams. In his career against Power 5 Bowl teams, so basically a Power 5 conference team that had a winning record went to a bowl game, 
Drew Locke, 34 touchdowns, 31 interceptions in his career. Against everybody else, 65 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So really, really good against the nobodies, the cupcakes. When he had to step up in competition against good teams, not so much. So I don't think the Missouri quarterback position is going to take that much of a step back. They bring in the transfer from Clemson, Kelly Bryant. I get it. A lot of people weren't Kelly Bryant fans, but guess what? He got beat out by arguably a generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. There's no shame in that. When we look back in the history books and say, ah, Kelly Bryant got beat out by Trevor Lawrence. I mean, right now, I think Trevor Lawrence has the, at least, I think he's going to be at least the best quarterback prospect to come out of college since Andrew Luck. It's about a decade by the time he comes out. A decade. Best quarterback prospect with NFL aspirations in a decade. So Kelly Bryant comes in. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Got beat out last year. Got something to prove at a new school. Fresh start. On top of that, one of the best running backs in the SEC. One of the best tight ends in the entire country. One of the best guards in college football. Missouri's pretty loaded on the offensive side of the ball. And then you look at the schedule. You could maybe cash this season win total by the end of October. Missouri's going to be favored in their first eight games of the season. And really, the only clear underdog roles for Missouri are against Georgia and Florida in the SEC East. They don't play Alabama. They don't play Texas A&M. They don't play LSU. They don't play Auburn. Who do they get from the SEC West? The two weakest teams, Mississippi and Arkansas. Huge scheduling advantage for Missouri. I Even though this has moved to win fest, I'm still going over seven and a half wins. I like over seven and a half. This is a team that wins at least eight games, Missouri. And I already gave a couple podcasts back. I like Missouri in week one against Wyoming, minus 14 and a half. That's the best bet for me. And I like over seven and a half wins. I'm liking this team a lot. Missouri, undervalued in the marketplace still. Yeah, got to like their schedule. One trip to Wyoming and then, what, five or six consecutive home games. That's the sort of team that uh, picks up momentum, and I can see why you like it. So again, recapping, stock up, Virginia, Minnesota, Missouri. I still think there's value on Virginia and Missouri on those teams. Now let's go to the other side of the coin, stock down. Betters right now fading Duke. Six and a half was the opening season win total. It's down to five and a half right now. And I agree with the move here. Although I I think the value is all dried up. Five and a half is where I would set it. And why are the betters fading? Duke, a lot of it's going to be schedule-driven. You heard Fez talking about all these NFL schedules. <laughs> Let's face it, schedule could be any everything, and it's something times, even though you would think it shouldn't be overlooked, oftentimes it's overlooked, especially uh, the, the little instances. And I got one for you here on a Wake Forest team, a little squ- a scheduling quirk for Wake Forest that I don't think the marketplace took advantage of. Here's what the marketplace should have taken uh, account for when it comes to Duke. Duke's not conference schedule, Alabama and Notre Dame. <laughs> I mean, that's not good, right? I mean, I, I get it. You don't know as much college football as me. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You're playing Alabama and Notre Dame in the non-conference. Yeah, that's well, it, it's a doubly bad thing because not only is it bad, but think about what teams are you going to get injured playing. Probably Alabama get the living, yep. you, know, you know what, kicked out of you to open up against Bama and to be, you know, fired up and then probably come out of there with a couple injuries just to start the year. That's got to be a really bad thing. Definitely not good, especially with Alabama's history and season openers under Nick Saban. I mean, that's been a pretty good covering machine, Nick Saban, on that one, even though Duke's about a 31 point underdog right now. 
On top of that, personnel-wise, Duke loses a first-round draft pick at quarterback in Daniel Jones. How often does that happen at a school like Duke? You lose a first-round pick at quarterback. So you lose a generational-type player. Although I will say this, Fez, Quentin Harris, the replacement, not bad. And I do like David Cutcliffe, who's a quarterback guru type of head coach. Lose their top three receivers, best player on defense, a lot of personnel losses. Who was worth more to the line, Zion Williamson or Jones? Ooh, Zion. Okay. Because I like Quentin Harris a little bit. He's got some experience. He's a mobile quarterback. Yeah, Zion's worth more. Although, I don't mind. Daniel Jones is, man, I don't know. I thought Daniel Jones got a little too much. I mean, because he was over, he certainly was overdrafted where he went to the Giants. But I could, I mean, a lot of people weren't, but I could have talked my, if I was an NFL GM, I could have talked and needed a quarterback. I could have talked myself into taking Daniel Jones at the end of the first round. I like the kid. I thought he's been a good, solid player for the Blue Devils last three years. Uh, on top of the schedule, go ahead. One quick question on the yep. schedule. You're bullish on Virginia. Yep. You're bearish on Duke. They play each other. They play each other. I assume there's probably no game of the year on that, but that would be the sort of bet that you'd love to make, right? Certainly. That, that, and there's going to be correlation with there. I, I mean, I mean, if you're up on one team, you, I mean, obviously there's a winner and a loser in every game. you got to be down on another. That would be one there. Uh, a clear favorite for Duke, maybe four games this year. Again, with that being said, I still got respect for David Cutcliffe. No value right now. Five and a half sounds about right. But again, it opened at six and a half. That's Duke. Stock down. Speaking of stock down, Purdue opened eight wins, down to seven wins for the Boilermakers. And I still think there's value with this one. Under seven wins. I still like this one. First, let me say this. Jeff Brom, the head coach, done a great job so far. I'd put Jeff Brom right in line with Matt Campbell as my two favorite young head coaches in the Power Fives and no one's talked. Well, at least the general betting public's not giving enough credit, not talking about. But the reality is, even as good of a job Jeff Brown's done the last couple of years, Purdue hasn't topped six wins, six wins in the regular season since 2007. And now to lose this bet, even with the line move, they got to win eight. So they haven't even won seven at any point in the regular season since 2007. Now they even not only have to do that, but they have to win eight games for you to lose this one. And the reality why, it's not so much personnel-driven for me because I really like Rondell Moore, who's one of the best player overall players in college football. He's their do-everything wide receiver, returns kicks for him. But the Big Ten West is getting better. And Fez, you brought up a good point. I said stock up is Minnesota in the last segment. Well, Minnesota's in the same division as Purdue, another team that everyone loves this year. I mean, you don't think they're improved? Nebraska won four games a year ago. Nebraska's season win total right now, eight and a half. So you have two teams clearly in the division, Minnesota and Nebraska is Purdue, that the stock is way up on. Well, the stock's got to be down on some team, and I think it's certainly Purdue here, a Purdue team that might only be favored in five games this year. I think they'll be an underdog in all four Big Ten road games at Penn State, at Iowa, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, all teams that won more games than Purdue a year ago. And again, those games are on the road for the Boilers this year. And then it's not like these are gimmies. Home games, TCU, Minnesota, Nebraska, Indiana. I mean, a lot of close games for the Boilers. I still like under seven wins. I think this is a six-win team, six-and-six type of team. Certainly not eight-and-four. I think at worst you push, but I certainly lean 
are, are like under seven wins more than anything. Makes logical sense. One thing I will say that in the Northwestern game, which is late in the year, I think the third to last game, if you make this bet and you go ahead and play against Purdue, you probably want to bet Purdue when they play against Northwestern. Just the reason being, anyone who watched that game, uh, it was the first game of the year, and Northwestern completely got outplayed. I believe um, Purdue turned it over three times in the yep. first half. And so that was an L for Purdue that really should they should never have lost that game. Yeah, and if you do memory serves, Purdue started last season with three straight close losses to start the season. So normally I would be like, hey, man, that Purdue team could have easily won more games than what they did a year ago. Close loss to Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, and Missouri. But they got a lot of those wins back later in the year. Won a really close game against uh, Iowa late in the year. You know what? They lost a close game to Wisconsin. So you know what? Purdue was did have some tough luck in some close games last year. Now just thinking about it, that would have me maybe a little concerned. Maybe Purdue was a better team than the record, but I mean, can you count on Purdue to pull uh, the Ohio State? Yeah, you're going to pull that one? You're going to count on that one, (laughs) that outlier every year? Good luck if you are. Again, stock down, Purdue, and I still think there's value. Final team here, and we're approaching right around an hour in the podcast. We're going to keep it quick-paced here. Uh, Wake Forest team that opened up seven wins down to six and here's what i talk about scheduling quirks here's one for wake forest this year they play nine conference games acc is not one of those conferences that that play nine conference games it's the pac-12 it's the big 10 it's the big 12 but they play north carolina in non-conference it's a conference game sort of say but it's not going to count in the standings what you got to love college football fans <laughs> Yeah, look that up. Look up that history on that one. Google that. Uh, but keep in mind, here's one thing, and you could tell me if I'm crazy here. Regular season win totals are regular season only. Uh, there's very there might be one book in the world that adds you know the bowl games and stuff. Here's my thought process here. Each of the last three years, Wake Forest has won their bowl game. To me, that's kind of inflated their you know their numbers. You know, winning eight games, seven, seven. And I, I think when you're looking at, at how many wins a team has, you're not thinking about bowl wins. And a team that's mm. exceeded expectations, and they pulled a couple of upsets in those bowl games. I think maybe all three of them they have. I think that's kind of in, that inflated their opening season win total number seven. I think they're just looking, ah, they won seven, they won seven, they won eight or whatever. Ah, let's hook it, let's make it seven. Forgetting that three of those wins were in the bowl games and a, and a season win total is regular season only. Is, is that crazy, Fess? It makes a lot of sense. And they won one of those bowl games as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, 55-52. And last year, they won by three in their bowl game. So easy. I think they were a double-digit underdog against Temple. They that were was plus ten-and-a-half. Oh, my God. You want to talk about some easy bets. Temple had an interim coach, lost their whole entire coaching staff uh, to Baylor. And Wake Forest was a double-digit underdog to man. That was easy money. Bowl you know, games can be easy. And uh, I hate I hate to talk about past post winners, yeah. and I hate to talk about I hate saying about that, live yeah. betting as well. But it, no other time are you than college bowl season where you see situations where you can have a ten and a half point dog, and by the end of the first quarter, you can literally by the end of the first quarter, you can say to yourself, you know what, the wrong team was favored. And let me preface by saying because I used the word easy there, winning's not easy. Uh, in this, uh, but there's certain particular points uh, in bowl games where I I should say maybe the term's not easy, but you can have some of your easy. I want to use the word easy. 
But I mean, the reality is, if you get the motivation right and you do the handicap right, I mean, there's often times when you, when you look at the the, the the final score of the game. I mean, compared to what the closing line was, I mean, it's a four or five touchdown difference. Fez. Yeah, it's the rare, where else do you find it? None that I know of, and it's the rare case where you can have situations where, with conviction, you can be laying ten on a team that was catching eighteen pre-flop and love your bet live wagering because it's just clear that um, the number did not build in the fact that one of the teams did not want to be there. Again, winning isn't easy in this industry, although there are certain cases where, especially bowl games, if you handicap the motivation, you can sometimes have some easy winners in there. I think that's fair to say, don't you? Absolutely. And and we talked about because of the volatility in the bowl games, um, we love playing 10-point dogs on the money line yep. because so often when they do cover the plus 10, it's because the other team is not happy to be there. And how many times do we have to see that dog not just cover but win outright? And oftentimes win outright by basically cover the spread that was the points that they were getting, whether <laughs> they were getting or laying. Yeah, and you know what? I'll do some more research or actually go back to search, you know, Brad Powers' bowl games. I put a lot of stuff up in there. And this wasn't just a trend from the past year. Past couple of years, if you just look at the, the bowl game disparity, it's like two touchdowns a game as far as the line being off. And again, you talk about taking the money line on the underdog. Don't be afraid to just lay the point spread for the favorite. Forget the money line. If you think the favorite's the, 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 the team that's going to be motivated, forget the money line. Just lay the point spread. Yeah, probably the worst bet you could make um, much worse than Keno in the uh, casino is to go <laughs> ahead and to play a seven-point teaser on a college football bowl favorite. That's Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers here. Just wrapping up real quick, Wake Forest stock down. Uh, Demon Deacons, at least when you looked at the early seven-win total, they haven't won eight games in a regular season since 2007. So I agree with the early betting action. But at six, at the current number, Seems about right to me. I really respect Dave Clawson. He's their head coach. Uh, it's a relatively experienced team. They do lose their best player at wide receiver. But other than that, six wins sounds about right to me, although the opening number been bet down. That is stock down. Wake Forest wrapping up. Stock up, stock down there. Again, stock down was Purdue, Wake Forest, and also the Duke Blue Devils. I agree with all three, but the only value left on the board would be Purdue. Fess. You know what? One quick thing, unless you got to go. You got the place you got to I be. got as much time as All we right. need. I want to sneak this in because if I don't do it now, I'm going to forget about it. And I, we're just not going to get to it. I got a real problem because, I mean, obviously I'm a sports better first. But, I mean, I'm a college football fan. And you know what I was pondering the other day? What would my life look like if I didn't have football? What would your life? If football just somehow went away, you know, somebody, you know, had three wishes, a genie lamp, and they said, hey, I don't want football anymore, and football just went away. What would your life be like? What would it have been like? No, no, just what would it be like right now if all of a sudden no football? Wow. I know. Because, I mean. I would have a major void in my life. Major. Literally, I mean, I'm in a cave all football season, I know you are, to the to the extent of, I mean, look at my typical Sunday. So I wake up, I kind of crawl out of bed. I'm totally sleep-deprived from Saturday betting. And from 7 a.m. to like 8.45 a.m., I'm jamming in all my NFL player props because yep. so many books put those up, all right? Yep. And then from about 9 a.m. until 
kickoffs at 10 a.m. I'm making last-minute bets on NFL games, fading line moves that I disagree with, or playing weather-related moves and the like. So frantically uh, playing. And then the games kick off, and I'm literally live wagering from 10 a.m. until about 12.45. Uh-oh, now the late games are about to start. So I look at the prop bets on those players. Go back to the in- individual bets. The late games start. I'm live wagering on those games right around 4 p.m., Finally, the games have concluded. I have no idea if I won or lost at this. I mean, I might have an idea, yeah. but I just don't know. You know what? How what, much it? How is. much it could be? And I'm not even checking how many yards Carson Wentz has thrown for, and whether I've middled over 288 and under 301 and a half. Whatever. So. um I got to be ready for the openers. They're about to come up, and you used to bet the openers Sunday. I know at two p.m. at yep. the win when they put it out. I'm sure you have a very similar type of schedule, and I'm doing the props for the Sunday night game because there's extensive props for Sunday night, and I'm getting ready for the openers. So I'm preparing for that Sunday night game. I'm betting the openers. Boom! The Sunday night game starts. I'm doing the live wagering, which is very not hectic at all because it's just one game. And now I'm starting to reconcile how the week went and with all my bets, still betting some of the the openers. <sighs> I can finally breathe. It's like Sunday at like 10 p.m. and I haven't slept like more than three or four hours all weekend. And now I got to go back to NFL Rewind and start watching all these games that I missed half an hour per pop per game until I pass out at like two in the morning. And I and it's great. I love it. I love doing I all that. Uh, I imagine you have almost the same schedule on a tip. On, certainly on, on like Saturday. a Saturday. Yeah. So that got me thinking, you know, obviously this is a little bit of an offshoot here. I don't want to imagine what it'd be like without it, but I was just thinking to myself, the health of college football. And as a fan, I'm a little worried. And to me, I want the sport to be growing. Why? More interest, more people watching, and obviously more people maybe betting if they're more passionate about college football, more interest. And right now there is an issue in college football, and it's a competitive balance issue. And I did some research here. I'll get to it quickly, and then we'll get to best bets. I went through, you know, Sports Odds History is a good website. That's Sports Odds History as far as archived future odds in a lot of sports. Went back the last 18 years. And right now, we have fewer teams, 25 to 1 or better to win the title. So 10 to 1, 15 to 1, 5 to 1. Fewer teams at any point in the last 18 years. Only seven. Average during that time, 12. Average per year. So that's one issue there. Two, I just looked at the number of different college football programs that have won a title this decade. Five. Sounds like a lot. It's not. It's actually the fewest by far since the 1940s, World War II, where there was a reason why Army, Navy, Notre Dame, who had a lot of the Navy uh, guys were, were shipped on their campus. Uh, there was a reason for that uh, lack of parity in college football. And right now, Alabama and Clemson, who have already won a title this year, they're favored over the field. So the chances are less than 50%. We add another different program to that list. And, and I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, the, the good thing sometimes for college football is there maybe there's some hope. And I get it. It's, it's a very heavy favorite sport. I mean, come on, it is, Fez. But I'll argue that in my entire lifetime, that there's at least been 10 teams coming into a season that at least had a realistic shot to win the title. You think that's a fair number, 10? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think a number right now is five, and that might even be high. I mean, I'm seriously thinking I would actually be relatively surprised if it's not Alabama, 
Clemson, and Georgia. If somebody other than those three teams went, call me surprised at this point. Uh, I don't think that's good for, for the game. TV ratings are down. Attendance is down. A lot of people say, oh, attendance is down. That's because people are sitting at home watching on TV, and yet the TV ratings are down. So as a college football fan, to me, the lack of parity, the, the Clemson-Alabama round five just doesn't interest me, man. I mean, I, it's fine. I mean, you want to see the cream rise to the top? Ooh, yeah. But I, I guess, and this isn't me being a Notre Dame fan, just thinking, hey, there's a lot. I, we get to the playoffs 12-0, and 0, you're a double-digit underdog. I mean, what's the point at this point? I mean, and, and that's got to, I mean, what's it like to be a fan of a Michigan or a Washington or an Oregon or a Notre Dame, have a season like that and, you go to the playoffs and you, you you get your teeth kicked down your throat. You're, you're a Pac-12 fan, not just a yeah. USC fan, and you feel like there's no path. You're like, oh God, we need to we need to uh, beat Auburn week one if we're Oregon, or our entire conference is dead. You know? Yeah, I just uh, to me that's not healthy for the sport, and I get it. It's not it's not like the old days where hey, if we go to the Rose Bowl, you know, you know, if you're a Pac-12 or Big Ten champ. And if we win the Rose Bowl, that'll make it. Maybe that's the case for Utah that's never won the Rose Bowl or in Arizona or something. But other than that, I mean, my interest i my interest level probably for college football is at an all-time high when it comes to betting. I follow the sport more now than I ever have before on a team-by-team basis. But as far as being a fan, I don't know, man. It's... The lack of hope for most teams, I don't, it's kind of a bummer for me. Yeah, you like that the underdog, well, that's what made college basketball so great in the 80s is that you could see the big underdogs, you know, making their runs, winning the championships. And it's nice to have... NC State. It, yeah. yeah, you know, in Villanova then. And it's so... it's Danny not, Manning. It, it's number 60, right? It, it's yeah. nice to see Chief Wahoo McDaniel out there, you know, against Ric Flair, putting him in the sleeper, almost winning the world championship belt, you know? At least a little bit of hope. Right now, as a Notre Dame fan, I don't have any hope. Are you kidding me? You hope you hope they don't make the final. I honestly, four. that's funny. I mean, if you'd ask me as a Notre Dame, I'd have rather taken an eleven and one season, win the bowl game, than twelve and zero, get to the playoffs and get your teeth kicked down your throat. I know this is totally non-gambling, but I just wanted to get that. That's my Area Fifty One story. That can be my RJ story for today, and it's a as, good one. All right, yeah. As a fan, man, you know, hit me up on t- at Fezzik Sports is his Twitter handle at f e z z i k Sports at Fezzik Sports. I'm Brad Powers at Brad Powers Seven. Hit me up if you're having similar thoughts. I mean, I get it. If you're an Alabama or Clemson fan, life is great, man. These are the golden era. But if for anybody else out there, maybe you throw Ohio State in there with the Alabama Clemson. Anybody else out there, as far as a college football fan, to me, it's just ugh. Wow. Hit me up if you have similar thoughts at Brad Power 7. All right, before we get the best bets, let's do a tease here. It's our one and only commercial break. All right, if you're looking for the best sports coverage on the web, then check out the Dan Patrick Show on Podcast One Sports Net. Join the sportscaster Monday through Friday as he covers, we're talking about Dan Patrick, the biggest games all year long with a whole bunch of A-list guests from the world of sports and entertainment. Download new episodes of the Dan Patrick Show every week only on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Best bet time. You ready? Let's do it. 
All right. Let's go to the NFL. Chicago Bears, we talked about them. All the money's been on the under, and I agree with it. We're going to go under nine wins on the Bears. Best bet, Chicago, very fortunate. Last year we spoke about it. Played the easiest schedule by a large margin last year. Totally cupcake. The division was down. Think about the Packers. Think about the Vikings. Think about the Lions. The Bears caught a huge break because of that scheduling quirk to have that division as down as it was. This year they play an above-average schedule. And the Bears stayed healthy last year. Adjusted games lost. Um, not the perfect metric, mind you, but if you just looked at that in terms of how many games the Bears went down to injury, they were the third healthiest team in the NFL. So obviously a team is going to perform better when they are healthy. And finally, turnover differential. Bears were tied for third best in the league, plus 12 in turnovers. The wise guys will tell you those turnover differentials are largely random. I know it's easy to say, oh, Bears, great defense, ball hawking defense. Well, Turns out um, year to year that so often those ball hawking defenses turn into average defenses in terms of getting turnovers the very next year. Certainly plus 12, unsustainable. With all that fortunate um, results last year for the Bears, the Bears are overvalued coming into this year. That's why we're seeing the money come against them. I like the Bears under the nine wins. Great handicap. That is Steve Fezzik. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Fezzik Sports. And Fez, you got a bunch of stuff up already as far as football season, don't you? Early season packages? Absolutely. And so my favorite package, the only one I'm going to talk about is there's a combo package right now. You get my NFL, you get Brad Powers, college football. And I got to go ahead and let everybody know Brad and I talk a lot of college football. I do a lot of listening. Talk a lot of NFL, too. And we do. So I'm not going to say that there's, as far as the carryover, I would guess maybe like one-fourth of your college releases I might be on. Yep. And maybe maybe like all of my, no, I mean. <laughs> yeah. about, if you listen to about, podcasts, it's all. It's no, like, it's about one, maybe like yeah, 40%. One-third. One yeah, third, one, somewhere around there. Yeah, one-third. So um, don't feel like you're completely missing out, not getting my college or not getting Brad's um NFL, but if you want to go with one NFL expert, one college football expert, the Fez-Brad combo is up there for purchase. Love it, Fez. That is Steve Fezzik. All right, season win total, I should have done what Fez did, and I should have teased later. I talked about this team a few minutes ago. I've given out Virginia on an earlier podcast, and I've given out Purdue on the videos. Make sure Sleepy Jay does a really good job editing those videos. I am really proud of those preseason college football videos Sleepy and I have been doing. And again, Sleepy's editing has been tremendous, putting in fight songs, schedule <laughs> graphics, all kinds of stuff. Love those. One of the videos that I did was Purdue. So let's give a new one out here, Missouri. And guys, this could be the one rare season win total where you're sitting pretty with a cash ticket at the end of October. Missouri over seven and a half wins. They'll be favored in their first eight games of the season. And on top of that, only two underdog rolls against Georgia and Florida. I think there's an overreaction to the loss of their quarterback, Drew Locke. I think Drew Locke was overrated. I think Kelly Bryant, the new quarterback, is going to have a chip on his shoulder. You got one of the best running backs in the SEC. You got one of the best tight ends in the entire country. One of the best offensive linemen in the entire country, especially at the guard position. And again, schedule sets up well for Missouri. I'm going Tigers, Missouri, over seven and a half wins. That'll do it for the dream preview outside of 
Dave Astler, who also has. He's coming in right before the gun here. It's almost like the old WCW Nitro right before they got to go. And that's awful. No, hold on. He's coming out of the back. Who is this? It's Sting coming down from the rafters. Dave Esler with a best bet. The regular season win total I really like in the NFL. The Denver Broncos under seven wins. They won six games last year. So what they're saying is a new coach, a new quarterback, and a new OC is worth one game, and I don't think it will. Fangio's been a defensive coach for 30 years. Broncos defense is fine. They need offense. They were 24th in points per game last year. So what do they do? Hire Scangarello to be the new OC. Two years ago, he was the offensive coordinator at... Wagner. I certainly don't question his ability, but also to come in and try to coach Flacco, I would do a question how that would go. And Flacco, to me, is just not the guy. And you got two unproven receivers in Sutton and Hamilton. Sanders coming back from an Achilles injury. Just way too many variables. Yes, they have a mile-high advantage. They're out-of-conference home games. The Jags, the Browns, the Bears, and the Titans, all teams that can beat them. They've got two winnable home games the last two weeks of the season, but consider this. If Denver's not playing for anything, you're going to see Drew Locke. So to lose this bet, Denver has to be an 8-8 team or win most, if not all, of their home games. In their division, the Chiefs have to regress, but they're still formidable. Chargers are possibly a 10-win team. Oakland has nowhere to go but up. Between the division opponents and a really tough first-half schedule, I don't see a 500 team like Denver under seven wins. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.